Well, indeed, it's a great opportunity again to bring God's Word today, and I found it so providential that Joe was out this weekend, and it was also going to be a recognition of graduates. And so I thought, wow, I can uh, do like a commencement sermon or graduation uh, sermon, which I'm going to do today, but as you're going to find out, it applies to all of us because it comes from God's holy word. My son Jackson uh, will be going off to University of Florida. So for all of you, I've lived here now 13 years, and I know we're in SEC country, and I've been SEC agnostic by any team. My brother-in-law is a big uh, uh, Auburn fan, has been trying to persuade me, but I I didn't go that way, but now that I have a son there, so, and he came home from his orientation and he taught me the chop. I guess it's the right way to do it, right over left, and it's got to be all right. There go, Gators. I don't think Joe's going to like that, but, uh, you know, got to support, got to support my son. But anyways, we're, uh, we're proud of him and Julia, who's, Julia, as you know, some of you probably don't know, but she's been living with us for three months. She's a foreign exchange student from uh, Brazil, and it's been a joy to be in our house, and uh, she's going to go back to Brazil, but then she's going to go back, and she's going to be in the SEC, too, as a Gamecock at the University of South Carolina, and Garrett, who I've I've known since he was in kindergarten, because uh, he and Jackson went together to school, so it's it's a great opportunity today to recognize them and also bring uh, God's word. So the title today is Wisdom for Graduates, and my text comes from a very familiar text in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, or excuse me, it's 2, 24 through 3, 1 through 15. Here are the God's word. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This is also vanity and a striving after wind. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, time to be born a time to die, a time to plant, time to pluck up what is planted, time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better than for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil, 
This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. May God add his blessing to his holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this uh, wonderful portion of scripture. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand it. So I pray today, Lord, you would just use me as a vessel, an instrument for your glory and honor. And that you would speak to their hearts and my heart as to what you would have us to hear from your holy word. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten our eyes, that we might see your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, graduates, congratulations on your achievements. Enjoy it. But it won't be long before all of you head off to college and start a new chapter in your lives. If there is one thing you will need to start your journey off into college, it's something we all need. And it's wisdom, wisdom, not the wisdom that the world offers, but the wisdom of God. Chuck Swindoll says that wisdom is the ability to see with discernment, to view life as God perceives it. I like that, to view life as God perceives it. We need to have our minds informed by the word of God to give us outlook at how we see everything that comes our way. And believe me, when you go to the university, there's a lot of ideas that will be coming at you. You need to be having discernment and wisdom from God to fully understand your position, to understand who you are in Christ. When you have discernment sharpened by the word of God, you are better able to make better choices, wise choices. Today, I'm going to look at who may be the wisest person to ever live outside of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is wisdom and knowledge, the Logos. We're going to look at Solomon. So the story starts in 1 Kings 3 at Gibeon, where the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And I listened to Solomon's response. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant a king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? Notice Solomon is humble and he recognizes he's in need of wisdom to lead such a large people. And it pleased the Lord, it said, that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. 
And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Solomon was probably not much older than you graduates, a young man. And he saw the need immediately to ask for wisdom. So the first thing I would say to you do is you ask God for wisdom. James says, which is another book of wisdom in the New Testament, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask for wisdom before you go to college and ask for it often. God will be faithful to answer your prayers. Now, today's text comes from one of King Solomon's great works of literature, but it's more than literature. It's God's holy inspired word, the book of Ecclesiastes. Most scholars put this book in the category of wisdom literature, and it includes two of Solomon's other great works, the Proverbs and the Song of Solomon, and also includes Job. Ecclesiastes is a very interesting and complicated book that on the surface appears skeptical at life in general, and it can be outright depressing for some. But one, because one of the themes that runs through the book is expressed in, the, I quote, all is vanity and striving after the wind. For you see, the great King Solomon, who was blessed with wisdom, was also blessed with many riches and pleasures, and he explored them to their extremes, and it unfortunately led him away from God. And that is another lesson for us. When things are going good, don't forget God. But in the end, Solomon, I believe, came to his senses, and he gives us his beautiful piece of poetry and prose. So let's dig into it a little bit. First, I notice I like how in verse 24 he says, there is nothing better. Someone says to you, there is nothing better. This is the best. We need to what? Pay attention and listen. So I'm going to give you a few points. Number one, wisdom recognizes that all good gifts come from the hand of God. Wisdom recognizes that all good gifts come from the hand of God, both material, intellectual, spiritual, financial, any gift that we have comes from the hand of God. James, again, going back to him, says that, well, every good gift and every perfect gift from above comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But not only do gifts come from God, and they're good gifts, but wisdom recognizes that he also gives us the ability to enjoy those gifts. For no one can really truly enjoy life without God. You probably know people that have enormous wealth, but they don't know how to enjoy their wealth. Because they have not that ability that God can only grant. I asked you this morning, do you enjoy the blessings that God gives you? The good things, you know, do you enjoy that good meal, that drink? Uh, that's why, by the way, we, we thank the Lord usually before we eat to remind ourselves this is something good that he's good, he gives us. We must guard from taking those everyday pleasures for granted. Now, I love ice cream, so I take great joy ask my children, in ice cream, especially if it's got like Reese's peanut butter cups on top. Oh, but I have to tell you, though, you know, I always make fun of one of the kids in the sermon. 
I told Julia, you got to get your chance. Julia loves ice cream, I think, more than me. Because that girl, you get her some, some caramel ice cream, and she just will not let it go. In fact, Jackson tried to get it from her. She, she would not let it go. But she has great joy in eating that. Well, that's something we all should have in some things. Now, I'm not going to find great joy in Brussels sprouts, I'll tell you that. I mean, but ice cream, yes. But the point is, every day, you're eating something, drinking something, getting something that is good. We need to enjoy it. Number two, wisdom recognizes that there are different seasons in life. Wisdom recognizes there are different seasons in life. Times change, circumstances change, life changes. And it says there is an appointed time for every event. Solomon uses that beautiful poem in chapter 3. You know, he was not only a good philosopher... He was a good poet as well. If you can find someone that's good in philosophy and poetry, because they're using both sides of that brain, right? That is an extraordinary person. But he probably learned some of his poetry from his father, David, who indeed was probably the greatest poet in the Bible. Poetry has to do with images, right? You're trying to paint an image in the mind of everybody. Uh, By the way, did you know that about one-third of the Bible is poetry? If you really break it down, it's poetic. I mean, most of Psalms is. Proverbs, Song of Solomon, there's parts of Jeremiah. Uh, Mary's song when she sings it, the song of Moses. All of it, poetry. Think about it. How How do we describe Jesus Christ? The Lamb of God. The Lion of Judah. He's not a literal lamb, a literal lion. It's poetic, okay? Christ's primary way he taught was simile. He used a lot of parables, right? The kingdom of God is like a great pearl. It is like a mustard seed. He's trying to paint in their minds a picture. So what is Solomon trying to teach us in this poem that is sandwiched between words of prose? A a couple technical matters about this poem. First, it repeats the word time 28 times in 14 pairs or couplets. By the way, seven is the Bible's perfect number, so this is the perfect poem about time. It also has repetition to the poem, making it more memorable and and beautiful. And for all of you 60s rock enthusiasts, always got to bring a music thing in, you know, about Joe. There's a song by a group where they use that whole chapter three. You know what it is? The birds turn, turn, turn. I won't sing it. There is a season, turn, turn. And then it goes through the whole iteration of chapter 3. Now, that is the extent of my knowledge of poetry, okay? I'm not a very poetic kind of guy. And if you are, go back and study the complexities of this poem. You'll be amazed what's in there. But due to the sake of time, let me just cover a few of them. Notice it starts with the beginning, birth. It ends with death and includes everything in between. All of us are born and all of us will die. Hebrews 9 says, Injustice is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. No one will escape death. There is planting and harvesting season. Now, we have probably mastered the farming skills since the days of Solomon. 
but still in Nebraska, you're going to plant corn and not in the winter. I've lived here, and it, believe me, it's very frigid. So all of these pairs of the poem highlight some of the major decisions also you will make over your lifetime. They also attempt to show some of the emotions that you will feel. There will be times in your life of weakness and sadness and sorrow. It happens to all of us. There may be some of you today that are sad, sorrowful. It's part of life. There will be periods of great happiness. There will be laughing and dancing and celebrating great achievements like a graduation, like a marriage, like a birth of a child. Some of you have done this. You know there's a time to, to tear down and leave the old house and build a new one or remodel it, right? For those, and I know because in this congregation have served in the military or serving in the military, you know there will be a time to go to war and possibly give your life in that war. For everything, there is a season and for time for every matter under heaven. But here is a foot stomper about this. Wisdom recognizes that we don't have much control over the seasons of our life. And graduates, you need to recognize that early on in your life. You do not have control over the seasons of life. We like to think we do, but we don't. There is a little bit of free will in there, but if you think about it and pay attention to this poem, you will see that most of what comes to our life is outside of our control. Did you choose to be born? Do you choose the date of your death? This past week, we lost two titans in the PCA. Uh, Harry Reeder, who's a pastor up at Briarwood, and Tim Keller from uh, Redeemer. Both men in their 70s. Both believe in the sovereignty of God. Both died different deaths. One died of cancer. Keller was aware of he'd been fighting cancer for a couple years. Harry Reeder went out one day in the morning, driving, boom, ran into a, a truck, dead. We don't control the time that we die. What about weeping? Think about that. Most of us don't weep unless something bad or sad happens to us. And the same goes for laughing or happiness. There is something external to us that causes these emotions to swell. It's usually around relationships. I don't just sit around my house laughing or crying. You would say you'd need mental health if you do that. There is something that causes that event. And I think that's the point that Solomon's trying to, to say. You see, we all go down these tracks of life, believer and unbeliever alike. And sometimes it may seem to be mundane and even futile. And that's what Solomon was dealing with in his book. And by the way, he would go to the extreme edges of this track I call life. I kind of pictured it for you in the Winter Olympics. Remember, you know, the bobsled or the luge? You know, so you're, you, you pretty much are on that track. You can go up a little bit on one side or the other, but you're going that track. And all of us are on that track, and we are bounded by God's sovereignty. We think we can get outside of that track, but we cannot. You will have happy times. You will have sad times. So you get through this poem, and you're thinking, 
well, I live, I have ups and downs, and because I really don't have much control in my life, then I die. Is that all it is? Well, that's how some people read the book of Ecclesiastes. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not think like that. We think differently. If you notice in verses 1 through 8, there is no mention of God. Then in verses 9 through 15, God is mentioned eight times. So he kind of takes a shift and gears from the poem to look at the sovereign God. And he asks a good question. What, what gain has the worker from his toil? What, what, what is the benefit of all of life? Why am I going to college? Am I just to get a degree, work nine to five, earn some money, you know, buy a, buy a house, buy a boat, get married, have kids, and die? Is that all there is? What, what, why am I doing this? What gain has the worker from his toil? And then he says he had three perceptions where he says, I have seen or I perceived. So what do we learn? Well, and here's the big point wisdom recognizes. Wisdom lies in knowing God is in control. Wisdom lies in knowing God is in control. One commentator put it like this. It says, wisdom is embracing the beauty of God's comprehensive control of everything. By the way, this is what? Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together to good for good for those that call upon him. Well, how do we know God is control? Well, he gives some more things. Verse 10, God says he makes <clears throat> everything beautiful in its what? In its time. Not some things, everything. Everything. That word beautiful, is it? is the same word used to describe Sarah and Rachel. Remember when, when Jacob went and he saw Rachel? I mean, she was really, I hate to say it, hot. I mean, she was beautiful. <laughs> she was beautiful. And that's the same word that God, God, our lives are in his hand, and he's making everything beautiful. Only a good and sovereign God could take the mess in a fallen world and in our lives and make it beautiful in its time. Remember, always, graduates, you are a work in progress. And when Christ started that work of salvation in you, he began a good work in you, and he will complete it till the end. Always be looking forward. Always be looking forward. The ups and downs of life are part of the process. This is God making a holy people for himself, his church. But the real reason we know that God is in control of time and he makes every beautiful in time is because in the fullness of time, Paul says in Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The eternal son of God came into time to offer himself as a sacrifice that we might be sons of God. Isn't that beautiful? He controlled time so much that he came into time. And all of us that call on the name of Jesus Christ, he is making beautiful in time. It also says, I found interesting, God has put eternity in our heart. 
verse 11. You know, everyone, believer and unbeliever alike, have a sense of eternity in their heart. They know there is something bigger, grander, and more transcendent than themselves. They just don't want to admit that it is the God of Bible, or probably more importantly, they do not want to submit to the God of the Bible. In their hearts, they know that history is not meaningless and it has a purpose, but they are perplexed in their efforts to discern the pattern of truth. Why do you suppose they want to build a utopia on earth? Or go to Mars and build new civilizations? Or meld our minds and cyber together to make some superhuman? Because they have a sense of eternity or transcendence in them. The sad fact is unless they have been born again by the Holy Spirit, their minds enlightened, they are blinded by the God of this world. And so that's why we must pray for them. And we must share God's truth with them as well. But for us who are believers in Christ, who have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit and embraced Jesus as our Redeemer, we have a greater, clearer sense of eternity because we know the eternal Son of God. It is with this sense of the eternal we need to look at our mundane and daily activities that we do under the sun, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says it. Also, notice that it says that God's plan is eternal. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Whatever is of God is eternal. I love that. Whatever God does endures forever, and you can't add anything to it or subtract from it. There is no bolder statement of sovereignty than that. He probably heard it from his father David, who said in Psalm 33, The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. God's plans, his purposes, and his word is eternal, and it does not change. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, let me get to a little bit of application. Because wisdom says that God is sovereign and in control and the author, he gives us three things to do, three things for us to do. All right, to live out our lives. And we've already talked a little bit about it. Number one, be joyful. Rejoice in what God has given you. Be joyful. Look and see all the wonderful benefits that your Father in heaven has given you. Give him thanks daily for your salvation. Cry out with David the psalmist when he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your sins, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Our God is a generous God, and he bestows upon us good things, even when the season may be dark. Look for it. It's there. There's enough there to get you through the cold winter of sorrow and disappointment or failure. We must guard ourselves of the ungrateful spirit that seems to dominate our culture today. You see it all around you. Instead of focusing on the good we all enjoy, people focus on what they don't have and have this untitlement attitude that I need it, I should get it. Number two, do good. Do good, verse 12. Do good to others. Where have you heard that before? Jesus, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
That's loving your neighbor. That's investing in the lives of others. When you go off to college, it's not all about you. It's about others, too. Invest in the lives of others. Make friends. You'll make some of the richest relationships at college. I still have friends from college I still keep in contact with. But you've got to do good. In fact, if you do good to some, they'll probably be shocked <laughs> today when you try to be nice to people. Number three, take pleasure in your work. Take pleasure in your work or your vocation, your major, whatever God's called you to do. Enjoy college life. Enjoy the opportunity to learn new things. Find pleasure in it. Remember, philosophy is what? Two words, Greek, love and knowledge. The love of wisdom, the love of knowledge. For you that work, take pleasure in your work. I know it can be mundane sometime, but be thankful for the job you have. See the good that you do in it and the impact you make. Remember, Paul said, whatever you do in word and in deed, what? Do it all for the Lord. Do it for the glory of the Lord. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. You know, there's nothing I like more than after I cut my lawn. And it's edged and blown. And it just looks really nice. And I sit back and just like, that looks nice. And then the reality hits, well, there's weeds over there. And there's, you know, it's an imperfect lawn. But there's something about the pleasure of working. Some of you that are craftsmen, you know, building something, doing something, when you, you get that done, take joy in that. And then finally, number four, fear him. Fear him. We don't like that word. Uh, most of us don't really understand it when it comes to respect to God. But we serve a holy and awesome God who deserves our fear, our reverence for who he is. I probably should have started the sermon off with that because the idea of fear, because what? In Proverbs 9, who Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. That's right. And you see this command to fear God. It's the central command in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's used at key points throughout the book. The book even ends with it. Listen to these words from Solomon. The end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God, and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing. Whether good or evil. Now a lot of kids. Like that last verse. One of the verses in the last chapter. Where it says. He says that the reading of many books. Is wearying to the soul too. <laughs> I didn't say that one to you. So recognize that all good gifts come from the hand of God, and he wants you to enjoy them. Rejoice and be grateful for them. Recognize that there will be different seasons in life, and you don't have much control over them. But the most important thing to remember, and it will be on the final exam, our gracious, loving Father is in control of all things. You can trust him. You can trust him. Graduates, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you trust him today? I hope so. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, again, we thank you for this word. And we thank you, Lord, that you are in control of our lives. And we, we can trust in you. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that 
can't do it, doesn't feel like they are, help them, Lord, by your spirit to just embrace you, embrace Christ. And Lord, help those that are going through difficult times. Maybe there is a time of sadness, a time of mourning. Just give them peace and strength. And Lord, for those who are going through times of joy and great excitement, give them, dear Lord, a, a sense of thankfulness. We thank you again for all that you do for us each and every day of our lives. And we just pray now that you would uh, send us forth, Lord, knowing that we are yours, your adopted sons. In Jesus' name, amen.